Hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I'm Courtney. And this is Caffeinated Crimes. Featuring my cat that just sneezed. So hopefully you did not hear that. But if you did, it was a really cute sneeze. So I feel like it's okay. It's not like a human sneeze that was gross that nobody wants to hear. Mm -hmm. Like everyone likes a cat sneeze, right? Like a little cute cat sneeze. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a cat sneeze is always cute. Um, Also, Courtney and I have a new like recording uh, process and yeah. And it tells us when we're recording. So I didn't have to count down. So it was really weird for me. I was just like, I just clicked and then I started talking and normally I'm like three, two, one. And it really, it just kind of threw me off. You know, I didn't, uh, didn't know quite what to clearly as I continue to just ramble utter nonsense. I don't know guys, you know, it happens and we have a new process and you know, Jacqueline and new things are Ugh. always great. So I just want to say we're a work in progress. <laughs> I have fully embraced it. This is week two of us recording this new mm-hmm. way. And I didn't, I didn't even try to go back to the old way. Did I Courtney? I didn't challenge it. You I did not. I'm very proud of myself. I'm, I'm maybe here. in a few weeks, we might be pulling our hair out for some reason that we've yet to discover. Like we did when we started this podcast. Yeah. And Jacqueline sent me, here's what I edited and it came <laughs> to me completely wrong. So, you know, if that happens, Ooh. we might be questioning things, but for now it's been smooth sailing. Yes. Now. On on our end, at least, and as far as we can tell, listening back. But if you guys hear any major audio differences in this week's episode and last week's episode compared to older episodes, let us know because we don't want to. We're trying to improve here. So if it's mm-hmm. not an improvement, let us know and we'll make some more adjustments. Because I believe with this new method, you should hear less background noise, yes. which I think was probably our best, our biggest, not our best <laughs> problem. Our biggest problem. I mean, best in what way? I mean, yeah. Also, I've said it before and I'll say it again, but now that professional podcasts have been recording like in their own homes, I feel a lot better about our audio quality because they have like professional equipment and professional like sound engineers and stuff. And they still have mic bumps and dogs barking Mm -hmm. and all kinds of random stuff. So, you know, I don't feel so bad about that. You know, it happens and maybe you're listening in the car and there's so much interstate noise. You don't even notice. That's true. That is true. Also one of the downsides upsides, I don't know, changes with this way that we are recording is that we don't have like a time count anymore. So we may just talk forever because we have no idea how long we've been talking. That's so true. And I meant to look to see if there was a way to put a timer on. Cause I feel like there is mm, probably, you know what? Pause. Let's see. Might be one of those things. It's not going to happen until next time. There is a timestamp option. So maybe I don't actually know what it means. <laughs> well, I know at the time we are recording, this is 5 55 PM and I need to nurse my daughters at 7 PM before she goes to bed. Your daughters. Yeah. I don't know what just happened there, but we're just going with it. Multiple. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she has multiple personalities. She's a lot of kids. So maybe there's just a lot going on. Are you like a cow and you have like eight udders and like eight kids? Oh, I don't know. Okay. If you guys have twins and you have nursed twins at the same time, God bless you. I don't, I don't understand. Or if you have like triplets and you're like trading out three babies on two boobs at all times, y'all are amazing. I don't, Mm -hmm. it's a lot anyway. Okay. Well, now that we have talked too long about random stuff because we don't know how long we've been talking. Um, I do want to give a shout out to our newest patron, which is actually my sister-in-law, Shelby. So thank you so much, Shelby. We are so happy to have you here. Um, She just started listening recently. 
like a few weeks ago and she lets me know like where she's at and she's on episode 70 I think so I mean she has been like listening to our voices nonstop. I don't know how she's not sick of me yet, but you know, she loved us enough that she wanted to join and get all those bonus episodes too. So we love you, Shelby. We appreciate you. If you want to be like Shelby and get a shout out like this and get all of those bonus episodes, you can do so at patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes. Yeah. And maybe she's sick of you, but maybe she's not sick of me yet. You know, that's true. That's true. Maybe she gets sick of me and then she's not sick of you. Maybe it just trades off where she's like, well, I like one of them at all times, you know, so, maybe that's the perk of two people podcasts. That is true. You know, I feel like also when you usually have two podcasters, like you usually like one more than the other. So I wonder how many people just like hate me and love you or maybe vice versa. But, you know, I don't want to know if you hate no. me, please don't tell me. Don't I'm tell fragile. us that. Yeah, I'm too fragile. <laughs> Whoever you're here for, we're, we're glad you're here. I can't afford therapy to talk to my therapist <laughs> about it. Um, but if you want to say that you hate me join the Patreon. And if we get enough, I can afford therapy. And then you can talk about how much you hate me. Okay. Perfect. Full circle there. We do have, um, unfortunately, another update of mass shootings will never stop in America until something's done. Um, So there was a shooting in Tulsa, Oklahoma at St. Francis Hospital. So a man killed two doctors, Dr. Preston Phillips and Dr. Stephanie Husson, a receptionist, Amanda Glenn, and a patient, William Love. Um, He had previously been a patient and he did blame the surgeon for his pain. um, And he actually did buy the weapon the same day. So again, if we have gun reform and we have background checks and waiting periods, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have to have even for an abortion, um, then maybe something could have been done or stopped. Mm -hmm. He did kill himself after the shooting. Um, I'm not going to say his name because I feel like a lot lot of mass shooters just want the attention. So not going to say his name. Um, There was also, there's been two shootings in Chattanooga. There was one uh, Memorial Day weekend and there was one last night at the time of this recording um, where three people did die. So it's just everywhere. Like shootings just keep happening everywhere. Um, And yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, I don't know. It feels like every time there's a mass shooting, like especially with the elementary school shooting, like people get very, very angry and everyone's mm-hmm. like advocating and then life goes on and we just don't talk about it anymore. Um, yeah. But maybe this time will be different. We can only hope. Um, but yeah, email your, lo- email your Senator demand change. I don't know. Do everything you can do. Um, also the last episode that we recorded was I believe the day after the Texas shooting. And so at that time we said there have been 14 victims. I believe at this point, 19 was the last number I heard that had been confirmed dead. I think so. And I believe also the teacher who died, her husband Mm -hmm. also, I think just from the grief and the stress had a heart attack and also died. So now their children Mm -hmm. don't have either of their parents because of this tragedy. So just heartbreak all around. Yeah. It's just, Something has to change, hopefully sooner rather than later. And like, I don't mean to get on a platform here, but here I go. All right. Please do. And if you come, if you come and say like, guns don't kill people, people kill people. I agree. And that's why we want background checks for people and waiting lists for people and a list of people who like the Buffalo shooter had previously threatened to shoot up a school. You should be put on, we have no fly lists, Mm -hmm. uh, no buy a gun list. You can't buy alcohol until you're 21, but you can go buy a gun 
at 18. Like it just doesn't make sense. And like, the thing is like, no one needs like an AK 47. No one needs an AR 15. No one needs those. Mm -hmm. And if you want a handgun or like a hunting rifle or shooting rifle, then you're going to go about the ways to get those. Mm -hmm. And if you have to wait 48 hours for a waiting list or a waiting period, Mm -hmm. you'll be okay. Exactly. You'll be fine. And it'll stop these and you won't have a loved one who dies from a mass shooting. So again, I'm, we're not saying like, oh, it's only the guns problem. Yeah. There is a people issue. And that's why you need to put policies in place for the people. (laughs) Like, exactly. Like maybe they have to have like a health Mm-hmm. thing. I mean, you have to go and take a test and a driving test to get a, to drive a car. Mm-hmm. Like, like you have to have your vision tested to drive a car. Like you can't get a yeah. license if you can't pass the vision screening with whatever kind of, you know, glasses, contacts, whatever that you may need to improve your vision. If you go to test and you don't have that, you can't get a license. You can't drive a vehicle. We have nothing you can't like drive that a for boat weapons. without a boating license. Like you can't do any of this. Did you hear that in Ohio, they just passed, um, I don't know if they put it into law or if like where they're at in that process, but to make it legal for teachers to be armed on school premises, because that's not a fucking disaster waiting to happen. Well, the problem with that too, is the videos I've seen of like people talking about this is they're like, okay, yeah, we'll give teachers guns, but you got to train them and you got to do this and you got to do that. You don't even fund, give teachers money to Mm -hmm. buy school supplies. And okay. So it's like, (sighs) so my husband is a veteran. He was in the Marine Corps. He was a, um, like a, a rifle coach in the Marine Corps. So he like coached other Marines on how to shoot properly. And he's like, you would be amazed at like, those people who can't shoot accurately, but you're going to give a random ass teacher who has no training in weapons, a gun and expect them to get the shooter and not their classroom full of 27 children. Okay. Or you're not officers who have extensive training when they have to shoot someone who's running or whatever, only get it accurate 30% of the time. Mm -hmm. Police officers who entire job is to know how to shoot a weapon (laughs) and not like not only are you likely to fail at your target but you are very likely to kill someone else in the process especially in a school type setting where if you are in a small classroom and you try to shoot in one direction and like a kid is in the way if a bullet ricochets if you shoot into another classroom like there's just way too many variables to have that make any kind of sense and also what i learned when i because when i worked at the library i had to have active shooter training is you never want to take the weapon from the active Mm -hmm. shooter because then when the police show up and you're standing there holding the gun they're gonna shoot you because they're like we don't know who it is Mm -hmm. it's the person with the gun you shoot the person with the gun so you're gonna give teachers guns and then be like hold on who's a teacher show me your badge right like if you have five (laughs) armed teachers who are trying to go after the shooter and then the police arrive so now you have like 15 guns and no one knows who is actually the person who like Mm-hmm. How does this make any sense? And, and then now you can just have someone pretend to be a teacher and show up with a weapon because, hey, I'm a teacher. I can mm-hmm. have a weapon. Like, it's just not, that's not the way to solve these issues. It's just not it. And what are going to be the rules for keeping this weapon? Like, are you going to have it locked up safely with the ammunition locked up separately? Probably not because, oh, then I can't get to it if I need it, which is what they always say. And then a student can exactly. come take you over, grab it, use it. Like, it's just not the best solution. More guns does not solve really... this problem. We learned that with yeah, the Texas no. shooting where the fucking coward cops stood outside and did nothing. So it's just, it's not the issue. We need some kind of gun reform and it does work. Look at other countries who have mass shootings. Yep. They put in some laws and it doesn't happen again. So 
we'll get off our soapbox now. But that's all we're saying. And you know, guys, we know we've had the same conversation 30 damn times on this podcast. Why? Because this keeps happening because this continues to happen over and over and over. And yeah, there is a way to safely own guns. Mm -hmm. There is like a hunting rifle. You want to go hunting? Like you do you boo. That's fine. You don't need an AK-47 to go hunting. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you just, you know, it's just in the state I live in now, I don't even have to have a permit to have a gun. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how to handle a gun. I don't know how to clean a gun. I don't know where the safety is. I don't know any of that, mm-hmm. but I could go buy a gun and keep it in my house. Yep. So it's like, that's all I'm saying is like, we need to have proper like classes and stuff like that. Like, I think you have to do that for hunting too. You have to do like certain classes, like mm-hmm. That's all we're asking. That's all. We're not going to, the liberals are not coming into your homes and taking all your guns. I promise you, we're just trying to make the guns we have safer. Like, and maybe you can't have a weapon of mass destruction. (laughs) I don't know. Like, because you have no need for it. Please tell me what you need it for. Please. The government's going to come and attack us. We need to protect ourselves. I've seen all the crazy conspiracies, Mm. but you know what? We're going to get on with our episode because now I think we've been talking about this for 10 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, guys. We're just going to. Yep. Diving on in now. Okay. So our sources for this week's episode um, were the TV show FBI Criminal Pursuit, season one, episode one, The Gainesville Ripper, The Shreveport Times, Oxygen.com, E! Online, All That's Interesting, and an ABC News article. In August of 1990, five college students were brutally murdered in their homes in Gainesville, Florida. The town was terrified and students were afraid to go to sleep at night. This series of murders would go on to be the basis for the movie Scream, which came out in December of 1996. On August 26, 1990, Gainesville, Florida police received a call from the Williamsburg apartment complex. No one had seen roommates 17-year-old Christina Powell and 18-year-old Sonia Larson for days. Both were students at the University of Florida, and the fall semester was supposed to start the next day. Christina's parents were at the apartment complex and demanding to be let into their apartment. So police arrived and entered the apartment with the maintenance man and the manager while Christina's parents waited outside. Unfortunately, they came upon a very gruesome scene. Um, The bodies of both girls were in the apartment and had likely been there for several days, Sonia's body was on her bed and had been pulled to the edge of the bed with her legs spread apart and her hair fanned out around her head. She had been stabbed multiple times and police believed that she had been taken by surprise and was possibly sleeping at the time of the attack. There was evidence that her wrists had been bound with duct tape, but the killer had taken the duct tape with them. Christina's body was downstairs on the living room floor. She had been raped and her wrists had been bound with duct tape as well. She was lying on her back with her legs spread apart. Parts of her breasts had been removed post-mortem and she had been stabbed in the back. A towel and a bottle of dishwashing soap had been left next to her body, so the investigators believed the killer had tried to remove any evidence. Um, However, the killer had also ejaculated into a paper towel in the kitchen and in the woods behind the house. So not um, very smart. You're you're washing the body Mm -hmm. to get the DNA evidence off, but you're just like, Leaving your jizz juice everywhere. Yeah. I gave hand motions, but I guess this is a podcast, so you can't. You can't really see that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Y'all know what I meant. It did appear that the killer had used a screwdriver to break into the apartment. Um, Because of the brutal way both girls were murdered and the way their bodies had been mutilated and posed, police did believe that they had a serial killer on the loose. They're like, this isn't some random 
like killing. This isn't like a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a hitman kind of situation, you know. And 12 years before, Ted Bundy had murdered several college students at Florida State University in Tallahassee. So the police are really worried that like, oh, no, this is happening all over again. This is the same situation. Yeah. Um, Friends who knew Sonia said that she was excited to be starting this new phase of her life and that she was a sweet and reserved girl who wanted to work with children. And Sonia and Christina had met the summer before and had decided to become roommates for their first year of college. Um, All of the dorms were full, so they got the apartment off campus, but it was like student housing still. It was just off campus. So a task force was quickly assembled, including other jurisdictions and the FBI, and the autopsy revealed that the weapon used was some type of K-bar knife, which is used commonly in military combat. So because the killer had tried to destroy evidence, they also wondered if he had some kind of like police background or inside police knowledge, especially with this like K-bar knife specifically. Mm -hmm. So just a few hours later, the Alachua County Sheriff's Office became concerned when 18-year-old Krista Hoyt did not show up for her midnight shift as a records clerk. So a deputy was dispatched to her house at 1230 a.m. on August 27th, which good for them. Like you're 30 minutes late and they're like, we're sending somebody to your house because this is not Mm -hmm. normal. And obviously it's a police department. So they're probably, you know, more on top of that thing than another employer would be. But they're not they're not waiting, you know. Yeah. Um, So there was no answer at Krista's door. So the deputy began walking around the house. Um, The house did have a chain link fence and he noticed that part of it was like pushed down. Like someone had like walked on top of it. Like it had kind of been like knocked over. Um, And it looked like the lock on the sliding glass door had been tampered with and the blinds were slightly raised on one side. So he was able to look in and see inside the house. Um, He did find Krista's body lying on her bed. Um, She had been raped and stabbed multiple times with evidence of duct tape on her wrists And she had also been decapitated. Mm. And to make it worse, her body was posed, propped up in a sitting position on the end of her bed with her head on her bookshelf, like looking at her body. So like this killer is like. That's disgusting. um, Yeah. Yeah. And parts of her breasts have been removed as well. And her autopsy did show that the murder weapon was likely the same type that had killed both Sonia and Christina. Again, this is like the very next night, like a few hours later. Um, Like I said, Krista did work part-time at the sheriff's office while she was also attending Santa Fe Community College, and she lived two miles away from Christina and Sonia. So investigators are working to find a link between these three girls. So obviously all three of them were college students, but they couldn't find any other connection between them. So obviously you have the University of Florida, which is huge. You have several community colleges. So it's not uncommon that someone of that age would be a college student They're like what else can we find to tie them together that makes any sense of why someone would kill both of them yeah I feel like statistically especially like in a college town like even in Knoxville mm-hmm. I would think um you know 18 to 21 yeah more than likely probably more than half you're going to be a college student of some form yeah absolutely Um, So obviously fear spread among the community and the University of Florida college students, as well as the students of, like we said, the other community colleges there. Police patrols did increase in the area. People were afraid to go to sleep. Um, The parents of these college students who like live in other parts of the country are like, should I bring my kids home? Like, do I need to go pick them up again? This is like right before like the fall semester was starting. So they're like, do we need to like not do the semester like what is happening just have a leap year here we'll, yeah you know we'll come back in the winter <laughs> exactly 
So that same day, police noticed two two suspicious men near some woods. So they called for them to stop, and one of the men stayed, but the other one ran off. So the man who stayed said that his accomplice's name was Mike Kennedy. And in the woods, police found a campsite along with a lot of cash stained with red dye. So there had been a bank robbery in the area earlier that week, and the suspects had been on the run. So they're like, okay, this is probably who these two guys are. Um, The man who stayed behind was arrested, but the other man did get away. And along with the money, police found a tape recorder with a tape inside, but they didn't listen to it for many months because it wasn't really relevant. Because like we got the guys for like the cash is right here. Like we don't need a confession, you know. Um, Obviously, this will come back later. Not just telling you about some random bank robbers in Florida. And then they never come up again. Exactly. We just start doing that and see if people like notice. Like, what did this part have to do with anything? Yeah. Although I feel like I feel like uh, older true crime books do that a lot where they like not even just like a red herring, but they just throw in random stuff that you think is relevant and it's not. Yeah. Like they'll have like two whole chapters about this murder and then they'll be like, but it was later found it wasn't Ted Bundy. It's Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, I'm glad I heard her story, but um, (laughs) what about Ted Bundy? (laughs) Yeah. Which is fine when you're just like reading a book for information, but when you're doing podcast research, it's really annoying when you take a whole bunch of notes on someone and then you're like, Mm -hmm. delete, delete, delete. This was not important. Not 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 important, but not relevant to the story that we are telling. Especially when you're reading a book, you're usually doing like a serial killer and you already have three hours of content. (laughs) Exactly. So at this time, the FBI created a profile of the killer, and they did believe that he would be unemployed or work like a low-skilled job. They thought he would be physically strong, average or above average intelligence, and that he would be narcissistic. On August 28th, the manager of Gatorwood Apartments received a call from someone who was worried about their friend, Manuel Taboda, because they had not seen him in a few days and he wasn't answering his phone. So Manuel lived with Tracy Pollies, and they were both 23 years old. He was a student at Santa Fe City College studying architecture, and Tracy was a pre-law student majoring in political science at the University of Florida. So when the friend entered the apartment, they did find Tracy's body in the hallway, so they immediately left to wait for police. I can't imagine how terrifying that must be at the time, knowing that, like, there's a serial killer on the loose and I haven't heard from mm-hmm. my friends and you're like, I'm sure they're fine. I'm going to get there. And like their phone's off the hook or they're away or whatever. And then you get there and you're like, fuck no. Like I was right. You know? Yeah. Um, so the, both the friend and the apartment manager noticed a black bag, but it was gone when police arrived. So this led them to believe that they like just barely missed the killer. Cause like, both of them said, no, I saw a bag right here and then left. And then by the time they entered with police, the bag was gone. Mm-hmm. So Tracy was on her back and it did appear that she had been dragged from her bedroom into the hallway. Her wrists also appeared to have been bound with tape before she was killed. And she was stabbed three times in the back with the same type of weapon as the other murders. She had been raped and her body was posed and cleaned, but had not been mutilated post-mortem like the other bodies had been, which is interesting. Um, Manuel was found in his bed and had been stabbed many times. He also had a lot of defensive wounds all over his body. He was six foot one and pretty physically fit. So they did believe that he had been attacked first, like maybe while he was sleeping um, and that he like attempted to fight off his killer, but was unable to. And then um, the killer was able to kill him before going on to kill Tracy. So they noticed many similarities between the murders, including that the killer had used something like a screwdriver to enter the back doors and that all the homes were in wooded areas so that the killer could easily escape into them. 
So the community really just continued to panic. So mace and gun sales increased. Sorority houses hired 24-7 security guards. The colleges all canceled classes for the week. Um, They postponed tuition due dates, which is huge. I mean, for a college to Mm -hmm. say like, okay, you can pay this later. Like they realize some shit's going down. Um, The University of Florida also gave off-campus students the opportunity to temporarily move into dorms on campus because they had increased security there. Um, They also set up toll-free hotlines so that students could call their parents and check in without having to pay for long-distance charges. Um, Because obviously this is before the time of cell phones. So if you're calling your parents across the country, you're paying a lot of money. Um, So they did set up these toll-free lines so that they could easily reach their families and let them know they were okay. I got to say, even though... As a Tennessee fan who <laughs> is born and bred to hate Florida, especially the University of Florida. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah. Like, good on them for doing all this and being like, okay, go ahead, move into the dorms. We're not mm-hmm. going to charge you. Like actually like doing the right thing. I think because so many times we see the wrong thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Especially colleges who are just money hungry and don't give mm-hmm. a shit about other things. Like they really like seem to care about the students and doing the best they can in this situation. Yeah. Um, There's a huge media frenzy. Reporters were coming in from all over the country to cover these murders. Um, If you are familiar with the Scream franchise, a lot of these details were included in the movie as far as canceling classes and the frenzy of the media and like just this huge Mm -hmm. community panic of like everyone like locked down and like the killer is on the loose, you know. Courtney Cox comes in (laughs) with her media team. Gail Weathers, is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. The weather's okay. I'm surprised I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so detectives investigated around 675 suspects and the name Ed Humphreys came up multiple times. So he lived in the Gatorwood apartments and was seen in the area of the murders. And police said that he was like acting very erratic. And on August 30th, he was arrested for assaulting his grandmother. So he was interrogated for hours and had specific details of the crime scene, like the position of the bodies, the fact that they had been cleaned, like he knew a lot of these details. Um, His grandmother did not want to press charges for her assault, but the state did. So he was held in custody. And on September 6th, the police received a warrant to search his car, apartment and his grandmother's house. They did find several knives and screwdrivers and also sent his DNA off for testing to compare to DNA that was left behind on some of the bodies, despite the attempts to clean up. So again, the killer tried to clean up, but also ejaculated everywhere. So I don't know. So Ed went to trial for the assault on his grandmother in October and was sentenced to 22 months in a mental hospital. And they really believed at this time that they had physical evidence tying him to the crime scene because there were hair and fibers that they couldn't definitively rule out as his. And I guess at that time, they thought that was strong physical evidence that you couldn't say, no, these are not a match, but they weren't like a match, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But eventually the result of the blood test came back and his blood type did not match that of the semen left behind at the murders. So Ed Humphreys was not this killer. And I guess I just did what people say and throw in it but but it's important to the story because he was like the first primary suspect yeah so well i mean i think if they're an actual suspect you know. yeah not just some random you know anyway so investigators entered information from these five murders into vicap so vicap stands for violent criminal apprehension program and is used to record details of crimes to catch serial predators so the description of the victims the manner of death the manner of entry into the home weapons used any of these like little details are all entered into VICAP 
and it will like let you know if there are other crimes that are similar across the country. So like if someone in you know California has also used a screwdriver or used a certain type of knife or done a very specific thing to a body, you know, things like that, VICAP can help mm-hmm. kind of catch these predators who, you know, like in the 70s where they could just move all over and no one had any idea because there was nothing to tie them together. Yeah. So when they put all of this into VICAP, they did find an unsolved triple homicide from Shreveport, Louisiana, from November of the previous year. So eight-year-old Sean Grisham was visiting his grandfather, William, and Aunt Julie for his birthday weekend. And at 8.30 a.m. on Monday, November 6, 1989, Sean's mother called police because Sean did not return home and she could not get a hold of her father-in-law. She also called a school to make sure his grandfather hadn't just like taken him straight to school that morning, but he wasn't there either. So William, he went by Tom Grisham, was 55 years old and a supervisor at AT AT&T, and he'd been battling throat cancer, but was doing well and was set to retire soon. He was described as polite, friendly, and respectable, and his daughter, 24-year-old Julie, was studying marketing at Louisiana State University at Shreveport. And she worked part-time at Dillard's and would be graduating soon. So police reached out to Tom and Julie's neighbors and asked if the home was unlocked. So just some good old police work there from like, the 80s. Can you guys just, is it open? Right, y'all, y'all go check it out and let us know if we really need to come out. I'm a little scared. Can you go over there and right. open the door? Can you go first? Because I don't want to. That'd be me as a cop. <laughs> yeah, same. Okay, I don't want to open the door. <laughs> and that's why I'm not a cop. Right. <laughs> So lights were on inside the home and the Sunday and Monday newspapers were outside. So three neighbors entered the home around 8.45 a.m. through the utility door off the garage and Tom's body was slumped against the utility door blocking the entrance and he had been stabbed in the back and chest. So neighbors are like, "Mm, mm, mm, we gotta get out of here. Nope, 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 nope. nope. I don't get paid for this. Mm -mm. This is not my job. (laughs) Um, So they left and waited for police um, and Sean was found face down in the family room with one knife wound to his back and he'd been watching TV. Julie was found naked and partially hanging off of her bed and her arms were around her head and her hair fanned out around her body and she'd been stabbed at least three times in her back and her body had been posed after her death. And if you remember um, previously, we mentioned another victim being posed. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a pretty big red flag. Right there. So the killer had used vinegar to clean her body and put her clothes in the washing machine and started it. And her wrist appeared to have been taped while the killer was there as well. And Tom had been out grilling at some point that night and Julie had plans to attend a friend's wedding. So investigators guessed they had been murdered between 6 and 8 p.m. on Saturday night. And there was no sign of forced entry and no signs of a struggle and nothing had been taken from the home either. So Florida investigators reviewed the evidence from this unsolved triple homicide, and they found many similarities in the manners of death, cleaning, and posing the body, and the murder weapon appeared to be the same type of knife. So investigators now began searching for anyone who lived in Shreveport, Louisiana in November 1989, and Gainesville, Florida in August of 1990. So around this time, a woman named Cindy Jurassic connected Crime Stoppers and told them to look for a man named Danny Rowling. So Cindy was from Shreveport, Louisiana, and she was familiar with the murders there and knew Danny. So she said Danny told her that he had a problem and liked to stick knives in the people. Mm-hmm. That's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so he took off. If someone told me that, I, <laughs> which I mean, I guess like, would you call the police 
if like an acquaintance just randomly said something bizarre like that, you know? And I think this is one of those things where I feel like I need context. Like True. when did he say this? Mm-hmm. Did he just say like, Cindy, I got a problem. I like sticking people with knives. And you're just kind of like, like, was, were they high? Were they drinking? Yeah. Was it like, you know how sometimes people just like say stupid stuff to like be a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to know the context of like when this was said of would you report it to the police? You know, like, yeah. Cause I feel like in hindsight, it's like, oh my God, why didn't you say something? But then I'm like, if I think about just tiny snippets of conversations I've had with people Again, no one has ever said this to me, but like something similar. I'm like, but would I call the police if it was just like a weird little, you know, I don't know. I mean, and that's the thing too, is like, I think sometimes like I say weird things because I'm always just like, I wonder what (laughs) blah, blah, blah. You know, like you just think of weird stuff, especially when you're like listening to true crime and stuff. Like, you know, like me and my friends will be like, oh yeah, like if you were going to kill someone, how would you do it? You know, like Mm -hmm. like, people do that all the time. So it's just kind of like would you yeah especially like if he'd said like i like sticking like i'm responsible for this triple homicide that yeah definitely that'd be a little different sticking people with knives you're just like Mm -hmm. shut the fuck up like what are you talking about you're doing weirdo go get another beer (laughs) yeah um so he took off from shreveport a few months after the murders and he had also told her at one point he wanted to go somewhere warm with beautiful girls She was on vacation in Florida when she heard about the murders there and she felt that she needed to have the police look into them. So she's like, "Mm, this Mm -hmm. is, I'm just gonna, just in case, just in case. So when police started investigating him, they found that he was also wanted for shooting his father in May of 1990. And he also had a very long rap sheet of bank robberies. So investigators start wondering if he might be responsible for their recent bank robbery. And they return to the evidence they collected from where the two men were staying in the woods. And they finally listened to the tape. Again, we said it was coming back up. And they heard a man singing, mystery writer, what's your name? You're a killer, a drifter, gone insane. He also talked about going down the wrong path and said he had to be on the run for the rest of his life now and that he had something to do. Um, and eventually the man did reveal his name as Danny Harold Rowling, and they didn't even have to search for him because he was already being held 40 miles south of Gainesville and Marion County Jail, where he'd been arrested for a separate supermarket robbery. So this guy just had mm-hmm. not stopped robbing. No. So 37-year-old Rowling also fit the FBI profile. His dad was retired from the Shreveport Police Department, and they had a rocky relationship. He thought his father was very harsh and demanding. Um, He had a history of being a peeping Tom, theft, breaking and entering, and sexual assaults. And he'd also been convicted of armed robbery in Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. So he is just like running rampant in the South here. Mm -hmm. He's just like robbing everywhere. All over the place. He was living with his father in May of 1990 when they got into an argument and Danny shot him before fleeing the scene. So Rowling would not answer any questions when interviewed, but he did consent to a blood sample. And in December, the DNA came back as a match to all three crime scenes in Florida. So he was charged with five counts, first degree murder, three counts, sexual battery, and three counts, armed robbery. So just a little history on... Rolling here. So Danny Harold Rowling was born on May 26, 1954 to Claudia and James Rowling in Shreveport, Louisiana. So James was a police officer who never wanted children, and he was abusive to his wife and son. So the abuse continued when Danny's younger brother was born the next year. 
So Claudia tried to escape the relationship multiple times, but she did always return to James. Danny had failed third grade from too many absences, and his school counselors described him as, quote, suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. Yikes. Yeah, not great. (laughs) Then when he was around 11, his mother was hospitalized for a suicide attempt, and Danny turned to drugs and alcohol. At age 14, his neighbors caught him spying in their daughter's window for the first time, and Danny was beaten by his father for this. He did eventually join the Air Force, but didn't stay in for very long. Um, He claims he took acid more than 100 times during his time in the military. (laughs) So that's a lot if you weren't in there for long. (laughs) Yeah, that's a a lot for a lifetime. (laughs) So I mean, true. Like, I feel like acid is like, not an everyday drug. Yeah. I mean, unless you're yeah, in the Manson like family, because they did acid like every day. I mean, and this is like And look the what 70s, happened to them. So maybe it's just like the 70s was acid time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. If, if y'all were around hanging out in the 70s and doing a bunch of acid, let us let us know what, what the scene was like then. Like, what was your average? Like, how much acid would you do a week? Yeah. Because I guess if you're doing it like twice a week, I mean, you could do it 100 times in a year. That's true. That's true. But personally, for me, I don't feel like acid is like an everyday. Like, it's, I don't feel like it's the same as weed. It's like, let me just get yeah. high every day. You know, I mean, but- like, I feel like you can like go to work a little high on weed. You can't go to work tripping on acid. And you know what? You can get a little high, but I feel like with acid, it's like all or nothing. Yeah. You know, like, I don't think you can get a little high or a little drunk. I feel like you're just acid. <laughs> you're just acid like zero just to 100 acid. Courtney and I yeah. have obviously never done acid so if we're completely wrong and just talking out of our ass let us know because <laughs> I'm terrified of acid honestly like yeah. I'm just a little too scared of it yeah if you have a good experience I guess let me know but sometime one time someone told me on acid they looked at a lava lamp and it looked like faces melting and that was a good trip and I was like oh. no yeah, yeah. so Anyway, off of our acid talk, (laughs) Um, (laughs) he got married after being discharged from the Air Force. But in 1977, at the age of 23, his wife left him after he threatened to kill her. Pretty good reason to leave. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, why are you getting divorced? He threatened to kill me. I approve. Got it. (laughs) You get everything. Okay. After that, he raped a woman who looked like his ex-wife, and he also killed a woman in a car accident later that year. So from 1978 to 1990, Roland committed a series of petty crimes, thefts, and robberies. Like we said, he had like convictions in like three different states at least. Um, He was in and out of prison and held various odd jobs throughout these years. As previously mentioned, he did move home with his parents in Shreveport in 1989 and did attempt to kill his father in May of 1990. After he attempted the murder of his father, he broke into someone's house and stole their identity paperwork and became Michael Kennedy Jr. And he took a bus to Sarasota, Florida. And this was the month before he killed the five college students in Gainesville. So on September 8th, he was arrested for the robbery of a Winn-Dixie grocery store. So he was in custody when Florida... He was in custody in Florida when the investigators made the connection between the Gainesville and Shreveport murders and received the tip to look into Danny Rowling's. Like we said, like they didn't have to look too hard. He was already in jail. Yeah. He was just kind of sitting there waiting for him. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, oh, you're also responsible for all of these other things that are worse than 
the robberies. Robbery. (laughs) My brain just blanked on what that word was. (laughs) What is that called? (laughs) What is it called? (sighs) So Danny Rowling was set to go to trial in September of 1993. And the month before he contacted authorities and said he would speak to them, but only through his cellmate. So police believe this was kind of his last attempt at having power and control. So they did allow his cellmate to relay all of the information as Rowling confessed. He said he traveled through Gainesville by bicycle because it was the quickest way to get through town. He revealed that he had returned to the Krista Hoyt crime scene because he thought he left his wallet there. And that's when he decided to decapitate her. He also said that while he was fighting with Manny Taboda, Tracy Pauly's had entered the room after hearing the commotion and tried to escape and lock the door behind her. But Rowling was able to break through it. He claimed he had mer- multiple personalities, including, including Yanad, which is just Danny spelled backwards. It was real creative so, on that one right there. Yeah. He really tried. Um, And he said that dark personality was the one that made him do it. And he also blamed his, quote, evil Gemini side. I would like to say I am personally a Gemini. (laughs) It's never made you murder people, Courtney? Never. Not once. Interesting. Okay. I I thought he was onto something, but I guess not. Nope. I have not not murdered anyone Mm -hmm. that I remember, I guess. But maybe... (laughs) right. You trying to spell your name backwards? Yeah, I'm trying to spell my name backwards. I don't even know how I would begin to pronounce it. I think you put the C in the wrong spot. Because it would be R-U-O-C. So Ruoke. Ruoke. I don't have an evil Gemini side and most don't he's just making up bullshit okay <sighs> he confessed so he did confess to all five Gainesville murders but refused to discuss the Grisham murders although DNA would later would confirm he was responsible for these murders as well so even though he's not talking about them mm-hmm. he did commit them um I wonder too because there was a child Mm-hmm. In that one, if maybe he didn't talk about it because he was like, I know what happens like in prison, like with child murders yeah. and stuff, you know? He's like, I'm not going to claim that one right now. Yeah. So he said he killed eight people for the eight years he's been in prison. And the FBI believed he would have kept killing if he'd not been arrested. And he just didn't want the FBI to take credit for stopping him. Therefore, he said his plan was to stop at eight murders all along. He was like, that was my plan all along, you know? Um, but again, this is just another power and control move where he's trying to act like he's more in control than he is. And he also at this time wasn't admitting to the Grissom murders, but then he's saying, oh, I committed eight murders. Okay. Who are your other three then? Because you're not mm-hmm. claiming them yet. Yeah. So his lawyers plan to have him plead not guilty by reason of mental illness and to blame the murders on his abuse of childhood. But Rowling actually just confessed in open court instead. And at one point, Rowling said he enjoyed watching the light go out of his victim eye, victim's eyes. And that if he was convicted to life in prison, he would hang photos of his victims in his cells to look at every night and remember what he did. Gross. So disgusting. Yeah. Fucking disgusting. To no surprise, on April 20th, 1994, he was sentenced to death by lethal injection. 
So Danny Rowling was put to death on October 25th, 2006 at 52 years old. His last meal was a lobster tail with butter, butterfly shrimp with cocktail sauce, a baked potato with sour cream and butter, a strawberry cheesecake, and a sweet tea, which is a better last meal than some of the ones I feel like we hear. Yeah. Like at least, you know. It's kind of complete, you know. Yeah. You know, you got your you got your meat, you got your carb, you got your dessert. Little, little special drink. He doesn't have any um any vegetables. You know, we should probably work on that. I but. mean, you're about to die, so why <laughs> eat vegetables? <laughs> I mean, if my last meal, I don't think there's gonna be a single vegetable unless it's a carrot to dip in my ranch. You know, I could go for some grilled zucchini for my last meal. And that's when you know that Jacqueline's a sociopath. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just kidding. <laughs> so prior to the execution, he spoke with a pastor and handed him a note, which he confessed to the Christian murder. So now right before he dies, he's mm-hmm. like, I'm confessing, even though they're like, yeah, we know we have your DNA, but so, cool. Thanks for, you know? Yeah. So Rowling sang a childhood hymn for his last words. Five trees were planted across the University of Florida campus for the five victims, and writer Kevin Williamson became aware of the Gainesville murders and used them to create a screenplay of the horror movie Scream, which does revolve around the murder of students, the community panic, and the media frenzy that took place. Um, And that is the murders of Sonia Larson, Christina Powell, Krista Hoyt, Manuel Tibidoa, Tracy Paulese, William Tom Grisham, Julie Grisham, and Sean Grisham. <sighs> yeah, those are horrific. I mean, very sad. Always horrific, but like the ones that are just so over the top and like the mutilating the bodies and the posing the bodies, and the decapitation, like. Just, and just the shit <sighs> he said, like, I'm going to hang up pictures yeah. of my victims. Like, fuck you you're disgusting yeah like oh i i loved it and i still love it and i have no remorse and i just want to imagine it for the rest of my life Mm, no no sir you're a piece of shit and i also feel like he's not well known like he brutally Mm -hmm. like murdered these eight people and it's not he's not a household name and i feel like the gainesville ripper isn't even really a household name except for the fact of scream i feel like that's the only reason that it became yeah, yeah, I do more. wonder if like Scream hadn't come around if he would be as well known. Um, yeah. And I wonder too if it's because he was caught semi quickly, not like really quickly, but mm-hmm. like semi, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like if it had been like a Ted Bundy where mm-hmm. it just like kept going, people would yeah. talk about him or, you know, like the ones that are unsolved. But like, so the fact that like they kind of caught him more quickly just thanks to, the tip that came in, like, mm-hmm. thank God for her. Yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, I don't really know. I mean, we see this a lot where it's just like these cases that are just horrific. And it's like, why is no one talking about these? Which mm-hmm. I think we have one coming up in two weeks. That's like yes. that too. Mm-hmm. So trying to do a lot of those. Yes. And I have a lot more. That one's going to be interesting when we get to this part where we talk about why is this one not well known? I've seen a lot of information or read a lot of information in the book that I'm currently reading for that one that I feel like is going to be a, a good discussion point. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. The ones that get so much attention versus the others. Like, I feel like this one is like a prime, like opportunity, you know, for lack of mm-hmm. a better word for the ones that are usually like talked about and like shared and everything and just really isn't like, or maybe I just never hear about it on other things. I don't know. I mean, I've heard like a few podcasts cover it yeah but I feel like when like 
people are talking like in the true crime community, like this one isn't brought up a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially like his name specifically versus like the Gainesville Ripper. Yeah. That's or one the of those screen, things like you know, the scream murders. Yeah. Cause I feel like a lot of the murderers who get like nicknames, like green river killer, mm-hmm. you know, all that, like, usually you're like, yeah, I know it's this person. Like I know the name, but yeah. like this one, I think prior to this deep dive, like I, if you said Gainesville Ripper, I don't know if I could have come up with his name. No, just like, either. you know? Yeah. All right. So that is this week's case. Courtney, what is your perk of the week? So my perk of the week is something very exciting happened this week. And that is, I got to go see Paul McCartney, Sir Paul McCartney in (laughs) concert, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, He did come to Knoxville and the Beatles are one of my favorite bands of all time. Mm -hmm. I literally have a Beatles tattoo. Um, (laughs) So I was like, you know what? I have, I have to go see him. And the tickets were kind of expensive. I didn't have to travel, but um, he had no opening act and he went on at 8 p.m. and literally played nonstop for three hours. That is amazing. As like an 80-year-old man. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> and the thing is, too, like he had a lot of songs where he, it would just be him and the guitar, mm-hmm. like Blackbird. He just did it like mm. that. He would sit at the piano and play oh, it. God, that sounds it amazing. Was so good. And like he was still so good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he still had his chops. He still had all that. Um, he was funny. Kevin had trouble understanding him because his accent was so <laughs> strong. He was like, I didn't realize his British accent was so strong. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess British. Like, like, you're used to hearing people sing versus like, when they start talking mm-hmm. like I remember the first time I heard like Keith Urban like speak and I was like who are you sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he's Australian yeah. it's super weird it's just so like um, so different from like your singing voice you know yeah and like he is older too and it's like a loud arena and people start cheering and yelling mm-hmm. when he's talking and so Kevin was like I can't understand him I can't <laughs> understand the accent um but it was just incredible it was an amazing concert it was so fun it was I'm pretty sure this is his last tour ever. Mm -hmm. So he claims, you know, sometimes they just can't stay away, (laughs) but I just, it was such an honor to be able to see like a living legend. Yeah, absolutely. What was your like favorite song that he did? Oof, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. one. You can do like Um, top three if you need to. Okay. Um, Blackbird, Mm -hmm. definitely. Because it was just him and the guitar singing it. So good. Um, he did live and let die, which is like mm. a wings song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did scare me at first. Cause he had like a little explosion thing <sighs> going off. And with everything in the world, I was just like, Oh my God. I'm yeah. And then I was like, Oh, it's okay. It's a part of the act. Oh, okay. We're fine. <laughs> oh, that's supposed oh, to there's fireworks. Okay. We're fine. But it was like a big production. Like, yeah. Had fireworks going and like all this. Stuff. So that one was like really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I mean, obviously, Let It Be and Hey Jude mm-hmm. were, like, legendary, of yeah. course. But I feel like I those are, like, my favorites in general. They can't compete. Mm-hmm. But he did end the set with the um, Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, The End. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that three-song lead into each other is just one of the greatest, like, of all time. Yeah. So that was pretty incredible to watch. So it was just, mm. it was amazing. It sounds it like just perfection. Such a great show. Very worth how much I spent on those nosebleed tickets. <laughs> but um, Courtney, you weren't in the front row. 
No, but there was a girl in the merch line who said she spent a thousand dollars on each ticket for her and her husband. So two thousand dollars. Then she went to the merch line and spent six hundred dollars on merch. Mm, wow. Like she bought. Wow. They had this like jean jacket, this like Paul McCartney jean jacket, which like looked cool, but like what are you gonna do with it? Yeah, two hundred forty-five dollars, and she was like, "Worth it. I'm buying it." And I was like, "Okay, girl, are you like independently wealthy or something?" Right. Like anyway. <laughs> So that's my perk of the week because, man, was that <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Jacqueline, what is your perk of the week? Um, well, I mean, mine, you know, obviously isn't that exciting, but <laughs> um, my perk of the week is that we have gotten to see family the last two weekends in a row. So that has been super exciting. Um, last weekend, we went up to Tennessee for our daughter's birthday party with all of our family and friends and had to go to a brewery and watch soccer and then just hang out in my aunt's house and just have people come over and just, you know, chill and relax and get to be around people and, you know, just hang out. And then this weekend, Andrew's dad and brother came down. Um, so we got to hang out with them and go to the farmer's market and just do all kinds of, um, you know, fun, like Richmondy things that we got to, uh, mm-hmm. got to go do, um, and we got to go to Pocahontas state park and we went for a hike and we saw a snake and Andrew did not completely run away. I mean, he kind of, like he, he kind of like started to run and then came back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I almost, he's like, I have to face my fear. <laughs> yeah. He was like, cause he like heard me yell. And he's like, ah, what? As he's like running away. And then he's like, oh, maybe I should like, are you okay back there with my infant? You know, maybe I should check on you. Um, but I almost stepped on it. It was like, like wrapped around it. So like the tree was like right at the edge of the trail and mm-hmm. it was like wrapped around the tree, like on the trail side. And I was stepping over the tree root and almost like, and I was like, so like my foot almost went down and I was like, ah! <laughs> Oh God, that would have been bad. If I would have just seen it, it'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to stay away from you. But like almost stepping on it was like when I yelled out, Andrew's like, oh, what is <laughs> That reminds me of like, Kevin loves to tell the story where it was like 2020 and it was like my birthday. Yeah. We'd been shut down for two months. Mm-hmm. I was stir crazy as fuck. And I was like, can we just go like hike in the mountains? Like mm-hmm. that's safe. I'm out in the yep. air. Let's find a trail that's kind of not that many people. So we walk literally like point two in and there's a snake. I don't know if it was hissing, rattling. I don't know, but literally <laughs> Kevin was like, well, and I literally just said, you know, this is a nice trail. It just feels like you're in nature. <laughs> and then the snake was like hissing or rattling or something. Um, and Kevin was like, okay, we just need to walk around it. And he turns around and he was like, you were gone. He was like, you were like back at the beginning of the trail. By the time I turned around, you're like, just nope, ran. nope, not that much na- I was not like, nature. If I see one this early and this one, this angry, I need to just go. It's not just a snake in the wild. It is an angry snake in the wild. I'm nope. I'm I feel done. like when they're like right there, like ooh, versus like they're just doing their thing, and you can like you know, mm-hmm. uh, mm, yeah, not a fan of snakes over here. No, but um, if you want to tell us about uh, your concert experiences, your Paul McCartney experiences, <laughs> if you went this tour, previous tour, what your favorite was, um, if you want to tell us about your Memorial Day weekend or your time with family or what you did in Richmond, if you were there or ever went, I don't know. Yeah. You can do so on Instagram at Caffeinated Crimes Pod. You can do on Twitter at Caff Crimes Pod. That's C-A-F-F Crimes Pod. Um, you can do so on Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast. You can email us at Caffeinated Crimes Pod at gmail.com. We are on TikTok and YouTube at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast. Maybe you're not. You'll find us. Yeah. 
And as we mentioned in the beginning, if you want to be like our newest patron, Shelby, and get a shout out and all kinds of fun goodies, you can do so at patreon.com slash caffeinated crimes. Um, just a reminder that through August, September, I don't know if we decided on a month, the summer-ish, mm-hmm. you know, um, all of our tiers are joining our monthly Google Hangout sessions. So all of our current patrons, no matter what tier you are on and any new patrons that join between now and then. You will get to hang out with us during our monthly Google Hangouts. So make sure you head on over and do that. Yeah, and be sure to rate us five stars on Apple or Spotify. But in the meantime, go have a cup of coffee. And don't commit a crime.